This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 62 of season two. And anyone who was following my little saga about one of my dear companions, my dog Jax, uh, the news was not good. And so now I am preparing for, well, his passage. I really can't tell if this is a blessing or a curse right now. I really am in that space because, you know, I said I wanted to know whether or not it was the, you know, the big C and it is. And I said I wanted to know that so that I could be sort of on the last watch, if you will, and uh, assure that there was no pain involved in his passing if I could help it. But that does mean the strangest kind of delayed grief, doesn't it? Which is, it does. It it means that um, I'm in grief now, preparing for this loss, and kind of walking on a tightrope right now as well to assure that we don't get to a place that is more for me than it is for him. You know, let me just um, stop here. I'm going to do my very best not to cry today because I know that that is not fair to y'all. And I mean, I didn't promise y'all love and light and I'm struggling through a thing right now. But let me stop and talk about something that is relevant to this. And that is that I'm writing a book. And one of the things that I'm discussing in the book is ways that we can prepare not just ourselves, but also the land for such a passage. And I'm not going to get into it here. I don't want to accidentally see it show up in somebody else's book. So we'll just leave that alone. But I would state that it's kind of critical if you know that you are going to lose a companion, a familiar, a guardian, there's a little bit of time left to not just make decisions but some introductions and that's where I am right now y'all I used to cremate my animals but then I got really concerned really concerned about their practices I mean there's a lot that we don't know that goes on in those um, cremations for our beloved pets and I got a little overly concerned, maybe. Maybe I'm just OCD about the whole thing, but I also worried about other ashes being in there before my babies, and what was I really getting back? I was also concerned about their spirit passing there, you know, any residual attachment to their bones, and that happening somewhere that I am not. And so I started burying them here, and we have quite the pet cemetery now. Because I was a dog rescue for a long time and anyone we couldn't adopt out, I kept. (laughs) And they became my family. And now there's a few of them nestled underneath a beautiful mulberry tree. And it's very difficult to look at a dog who's wagging his tail and trying to give you comfort and know that they won't be here for long. It's very difficult. 
but it does give me this little expanse, this little space of time in which I can, well, I guess, prepare the ground, if you will. Also makes it more painful. I'm not going to lie. I haven't been able to do much in the last two days. You know, what's funny is that I do feel really magical right now. I don't know, that, that exquisite grief that you go through. It kind of brings you, well, at least it does me, brings me deeper into that space. And uh, it's also a function of age, I suppose. I didn't used to be this way. I used to go numb to the thing I was losing as some sort of self-preservation, I suppose. And now what I tend to do is go numb to everything else that doesn't matter anymore to me. And regretfully, that includes my job, the way I make a living, um, whether or not the floor is swept, whether or not I'm responding to emails anymore, that sort of thing goes very numb for me. And I don't, I just don't care as much. So there's been a strange flip of priority as I've gotten older. And I suppose gotten closer to my own time of saying goodbye as well. And right now he's all that really matters. I feel very, very called to say that it doesn't mean that he's all that matters to, you know, the land or the land spirits. And so this is also a space, y'all, especially in that whole bushcrafting my witchcraft I'm trying to do, which really is just a fancy way of saying witchifying every damn thing in my whole life. And um, I've been walking in the woods trying to see who might bear his bones and where that is appropriate. And if he had died suddenly, I wouldn't have as much time to do that in. But it is an excruciating process. (laughs) It's also magical. And I think that sometimes when we talk about witchcraft, we only think about the things that we can, you know, create or do. I don't think we're necessarily thinking about death doula work or, you know, leaning into the dark and working with that which resides there. Well, I mean, some of us do, but not everyone. And to me, it's a way that I guess that I am witchifying my grief. I want it to matter. I want everything that I do, if at all possible, to matter in some way. And so grief that is only for grief's sake, I don't know that it could. And I'm digging down deeper in it to see if there are lessons to learn here in this rather dismal little holler I'm in right now. Y'all know it's uh, funny, weird, that kind of funny that I found out about mm, an hour and a half before. A new initiate was going to go through the whole ritual and this wonderful night that we had planned. That's when I found out about Jax. So there's irony there. But it always strikes me how, you know, those things that we're losing are so, they bump up against so often the things that we are gaining. It's a little dizzying to me. But that's enough of that. And uh, you know what? Speaking of gaining things or wonderful surprises in our lives that make things all better or at least make them bearable, you know, it's been so very long since I had a new student and I also have another auditor and that will be enough (laughs) for the year, possibly several years. 
But it reteaches me things. It reteaches me how to look at magic afresh. And that's what I'm trying to do anyway, is knock the dust off. I had a question yesterday from this new beautiful soul. And her question was so simple and so pure and lovely. And it was just, what is shadow work? And I questioned her and asked her, what do you think it is? And I got the usual response, which was, and has always been in every case I've ever asked it, that, you know, you're looking for things within yourself that you want to improve upon. Usually, I did hear her say the word fault. I tried to grab that as soon as it came out of her mouth and slam it into the ground. (laughs) That's not a great way for me, at least, to do my shadow work is go looking for faults or flaws. But, you know, that was pretty much the basic definition that's out there anyway. So I get it. I really do. That is what we usually think. It's almost like a knee-jerk witch reaction. However, that is not all there is to it. And it really helps me as I enter this new phase of my craft. As I strip down everything and challenge myself to learn anew. By the way, there's a whole lot of ego throwing out that has to be done on my end. A whole lot of... um. Humility, which is good for me. So, hey, you know, bring it on. And it got me to thinking more. This is what teaching ought to do anyway, is get you to thinking more. I've been a teacher officially since 2000, so that would be 23 years. But I don't know, reckon as a mama, I've been teaching since 1986. So (laughs) there you go. It's more than a vocation. It has been a journey. It has been a particular walk in the woods, y'all. And it was only when I started allowing my students to teach me right back that I think I became really effective and uh, that my work started to matter. Anyhow, I did think I would share that with y'all today. I'm sorry my heart's a little bit broken about my dog, but you know, this is the real life of a witch breaking in to a day that has been about grief and needs to be about cleaning the house and stopping everything to talk about shadow work. I love my beautiful fucked up life. I really do. So just to augment what I told my new student or my new auditor, shadow work, as far as I understand it, and y'all do y'all, do you. I'm sure there's a book out there on this and I'm sure I'm going to, you know, stomp all over that premise, but in my estimation, shadow work ought to also include all of those things about yourself that you think might be worth a shit. Especially for any of us who come from trauma, shadow work for me was an opportunity and still is to nourish myself, to nurture the broken parts of me that really don't have a hope in hell of coming back together if I don't do something about it. Shadow work for me meant that I had an opportunity to go look at the things that were, I don't know, full of right potential. And there's a lot of potential in all of us. I've always said that at the end of the day, potential holds no truck with me if someone doesn't have the, um, well, the support and the chutzpah to explore that potential. But when I do see those things inside of me that I was, I guess, not nurturing when I was younger, 
that I've, you know, walked away from and whatever those things might be. Like I want to learn how to paint and I always wanted to learn how to paint. So that kind of counts too. It doesn't only have to be that we're good teachers or leaders or helpers. It could be something that (laughs) I guess other folks might see as selfish. But honey bunny, if shadow work isn't personal, I don't know what is. It shouldn't necessarily encompass everything other people want you to be or the things they've said you should have been. To me, it's, um, well, it's a real opportunity to get to know our deeper, lower selves. And it has occurred to me often, y'all, that some of the reasons we have fractured away from those other things about ourselves, especially as witches, has had to do with what other people have said, other people have put in our heads. So the first thing I do with shadow work, honestly, the very first thing I do is to take out those voices. They're kind of always simmering on the top of everything down there in the basement. I grab them by the tail and I look at them and I decide whether or not I want to believe whatever that is. This really does tie into what I said last week, that we always have an audience And sometimes that audience, when we're writing, we always have an audience. Even if we're doing it completely alone with a journal in the middle of the woods, we are assuming an audience. That audience can be our parents from our childhood. It could be the woods itself, you know, the land spirits. It could be who we assume might read this one day. Or it could be the us that we wish we were listening to us. So getting all of those voices out includes, I guess, our own at first. And then experiencing all of it, you know, going through all these things about ourselves to decide whether or not we agree with any of those voices. I'll give you a for instance. When I was a little girl, I was called dramatic. (laughs) Raise your hand if you can identify with me. I was called dramatic every time I had a feeling. I was called dramatic if I cried or if I was upset about something or if I was angry about something. Literally, it was a cover word to silence me 100%. Mm-hmm. I was called other things too. They're just not you know, pertinent to the conversation. Uh, the devil spawn was a fun one when I was young liar every time I told the truth about a situation that exposed something going on in my family that did fuck my head up as a child and even as an adult for a while but moving past that dramatic just dramatic I could be sitting at a kitchen table and heartbroken about something that happened at home and feeling lost you know I'm still a kid in this scenario Maybe got popped across the mouth for something, but now we have company (laughs) and I have to get my shit together. And if I sat there and a single tear rolled down, I was dramatic. If I spoke up to say, this isn't right about a situation, and I've had to do that as an adult in that family, I was being dramatic and obviously just wanted to ruin the family. I saw this whole thing replay when I had my children and would take them to this uh, family, if you want to call it that. And it was my youngest son, and he has anxiety disorder. 
And he's doing really good these days. I mean, I'm telling you, it's rough on a kid. He's doing great these days. I'm very proud of him. But he had a panic attack. There was a lot going on. Believe me, um, the holidays weren't fun. <laughs> Lots of elephants in the room that nobody was allowed to speak about. It doesn't matter. Panic disorder is a physical thing. I mean, it can lead to an outright heart event. It was, it was rough on him. And I think he was like 11 or 12. And I have had the same disorder. I've learned to manage it, thankfully, and things are better for me as well. But he was really suffering that day. And it kind of makes you, well, at least for us, it makes you feel fear. Impending doom. It's very scary, these attacks. And he shared this with me in front of my parent to which she immediately just threw her hands out and said, you know, this is attention-seeking. This child is just wanting to be the center of attention, and you shouldn't enable this. This is a qualified, diagnosed disorder that he was going through. So I had to take him away from that table and take him to the outside and sit with him and put another voice in his head You know, you don't want to be called crazy or dramatic on top of experiencing something like that. So I did the very best I could to get that voice out of his head and pronto and told him, you know, what you're feeling right now is valid and I just want you to know that you are safe and that I'm here and that it's going to pass and I'm going to stay with you while you're going through that and let's do some breathing exercises because it wasn't fucking dramatic in the way that it, you know, that automatically juxtaposes the idea of performance. It wasn't a performance. Now that's an example of how something could get stuck in your head. A voice that can make you feel really shitty about yourself and get embedded back there in that basement. For myself, I've gone into that basement and not only done the kind of work I need to do, because we all have work we need to do. We can go back to that idea or that system of, you know, go do shadow work to fix flaws in yourself. Although I really hate that. I really hate that idea. What I would rather do is go down there into the basement of me, into the shadow, and look at the situation honestly. Sometimes there are things we need to change about ourselves, but it's not just because others said to do so, you know? But Also because we were meant to be something more than we are. So for me, when I go down there and I find the box that says dramatic on it, I go look inside of it to see why. What could have been going on there? That's part of my shadow work. And I won't bore you with that. Um, The other things I do in shadow work that I don't know a lot of people do, I haven't heard them speak on it anyway. And that would be what parts of my witchcraft, what places in my magic need work where do they need to heal or become more balanced what little whispers in the trees have I completely ignored who do I want myself to be as a witch that's shadow work too and the worst disservice I could do to me in that act is listen to another voice I'm sorry I know that's all we do is listen to other voices and I mean it really is it's 
What do other people think about us on Facebook? What do other people think about us that we are married to? What are these voices? What are they saying about who we are? While I was in there doing some of my shadow work, I found that I, I was no longer satisfied with where I was. As a witch, I, I just wasn't. You know, to me, it's not just casting spells. <laughs> it's not. There's a deeper reason for it behind all of that surface tension, if you will. I wanted to be connected. I heard the call, you know, when I was very little. I wanted to be connected to the magical world. Because I thought they could teach me something. They, the, the big they. And they have. But I do think I got comfortable in my craft. So I'm purposely creating discomfort now in my bushcrafting of my witchcraft in order to hear better. Taking it back to the root of it all and finding out who I am. Now shadow work is critical in that. I can't imagine a witch who doesn't do it. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, the shadow is where we learn so much, but it's also where we heal. Those little whispers that I've had in the dark have, when I've ignored them, have cost me everything. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And sometimes I look back and I think, why didn't I adhere to that? Why didn't I listen? And I think I know why. I think that many years had created a numbness in me. Oh, there were things I knew as a witch. There were things I just knew. But I was living like off a battery of a different time, of a different life. That wasn't, well, there was no connective tissue firing any of that for me. And I'm being rough on myself for a reason. Not for the, you know, self-deprecating, I guess, impulses that I learned as a child. No, I'm being rough on myself to see what else I'm going to be. I may be working on 60, but as long as I'm still here, I'm interested in what I could be tomorrow. I want to know what else there is for me to experience and learn and do. And what do the trees and my ancestors and my great mother want me to learn? I mean, otherwise I'm just dead. I'm like a monument (laughs) repeating old shit I learned 20 years ago. And that bat children is not good enough. For me. You know, I was a little bit inspired, honestly, by my friend Pastor Adam. Oh, don't get me wrong. I know y'all kind of cringe at that. But, you know, last year he was struggling through a lot of questions. And one of those was, do I just stay Christian? Because he's so disillusioned with where Christianity has gone. And so perhaps it had occurred to me somewhere in the dark. Do I just stay witch? Or do I just walk out there and call the quarters and say that ritual that I memorized and open up my tarot deck and read from it and wear a really funky cool hat? Or do I want to get back to the reason that I grew into this craft, gosh, so long ago? Arguably when I was born, but assuredly that night that I stood in the trees in the 70s there are a lot of things you gotta be young for you know a lot of things certain sexual positions I said it (laughs) roller coasters god those were fun but I've got a heart issue now I probably shouldn't do it staying up all night drinking 
There's a lot of things you need to be young for, honey bunnies. Witchcraft isn't one of them. I reckon an old hag could stand out there in that woods and feel just as alive and magic, just as tingly in that connection as um, an 18-year-old could. Possibly more if she was wise enough to know where to dive in. So, as you can see, shadow work would come in really handy about right now. (laughs) And that shadow work led me to ask that question, and I don't feel blasphemous for asking it. Should I stay witch? Because to me, it's an active kind of word. It's a verb. Should I stay this thing? That yes, I, I, I suppose I was born to do. I've been doing since I was a small child. I'm pretty acclimated to this life. That's not a good enough reason to stay any fucking thing. You feel me? In fact, that can be an excuse to evade life altogether. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about jumping ship to become another religion. You know, it doesn't have to be a trade-off. It can be literally looking at your life and going, is this enough? Is this where I want to be? And so, through that shadow work, when I had become numb and something inside of me down there in that little basement, well, more likely in my craft, a cellar, somewhere down there a little voice hollowed out, well, you're just being dramatic. (laughs) When I was a little girl and I was accused of being dramatic, something horrifying was happening behind closed doors. Something really uncool was going on. So when I heard that voice (laughs) say back to me about, should I stay witch? You're just being dramatic. I thought, mother, I have to go find out. I wasn't wrong as a little girl. Probably not wrong now. And if I decide to stay witch, what kind do I want to be? Am I allowed to grow? Am I allowed to change? Am I allowed to experience different sides to my witchcraft? Hmm. But more importantly, what the hell was that voice down there trying to keep me from doing? Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'm not, I'm not a coward. I always taught my students at the university that it's okay to consider another opinion. If you were right, if you're stance, we'll call it a stance, or ideology, whatever, was always the right stance and true for you, considering something else, well, it won't shake, will it? It is my deep assumption that it won't. But the voice that screamed out I shouldn't look or try, that I was just being dramatic, if that voice needed to pop up, it didn't want me to find something out. So two tears in a bucket, y'all. I'm going back in. And I'm going to find out. What am I made of as a witch? What about my craft matters to me? Why living this way is the best homage I could do for having a breath on the planet. Going back in, that voice, it piqued my curiosity. Reminds me of every single time I ever told a male-presenting human being to bite me when I would show some kind of emotion or stood up for myself or felt that there was something I needed to say and they would look at me and ask me if I was on my period. 
It's the same damn thing. These are words and voices that are meant to stop you, to halt you in your tracks. So my favorite thing about shadow work, bad children, my favorite thing about shadow work is going down there and finding all those damn voices that have attached their little claws onto the edges of me, sometimes the bones of me, and ripping them out while they scream against the light I drag them into. You know, monsters aren't that frightening when you throw them into the sun. I don't know, y'all. I reckon I've reinitiated myself. I'm challenging myself. I want to know what I'm made out of, and I can't have a single one of those voices throwing a vote down on that table. That's enough of that. That's 56 years, almost 57 here in a couple of months, of another voice telling me who I am, how I operate, what's good, what's bad about me, You always need to look at those kinds of moments. Polarities like that, they're a warning sign. Because at the end of the day, and I've done told y'all about this concept, I just want to be fucked up beautiful. I don't want to deny anything in me that's broken. I don't want to throw away anything about me. I just want to make it as beautiful as it can be in its wholeness. Not scraped and sawed off version of whatever people want to live with. Fuck what people want you to be. Well, unless you're a serial killer, that can be pretty messed up. (laughs) I'm talking to those people out there that want to be balanced. I'm talking to those witches out there that are still looking for something. Who gives a shit what anybody else wants out of you? What can you live with? Y'all know I sent my <laughs> I sent my dissertation because I was asked to to my auditor. I sent it to her because it was all about back there in 2006. It was all about the maternal goddess and how messed up and twisted it got over, you know, 2000 years. <laughs> and I read a little bit of it. I haven't looked at it in so long. Um, but before I sent it to her, I kind of glanced in and I looked at it and I had some shit to say, y'all. I had some really, gosh, I was on fire, you know, it's been so long since I was on fire like that. It sort of was, um, the, the grand opus of the defense of fucked up beautiful. I said some shocking stuff like all women are not naturally mothers, nor should they be. Yeah, Uh, I fought against institutionalized maternal bullshit and crap. Also fought for those women who wanted to do that kind of work. That was my experience. But I damn straight know it wasn't everyone's. And I'm reading through all this and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. The idea of the great mother goddess, she was always all things She was sexual, but she could also be maternal if she wanted to be. She was a bringer of life, but she could be warrior and, you know, disseminate your ass. She was malevolent and benevolent and soft and tough and all things. And then, you know, Christianity and the patriarchy, we kind of dressed her down or stole away that complexity, which was a wonderful model of a whole human, (laughs) 
of a whole witch. I want that back with no apologies. And if I couldn't have had a non-apologetic life, by God, I'm going to have a non-apologetic death. And I think we start that kind of work way ahead of it coming. I don't want it stolen from me. And I need all those voices down there in that cellar that I find doing shadow work every time. I need all those to hush on up so I can live my most authentic witch life here, you know, in the last whatever I have. So anyway, this one might have been a little bit more personal than you're used to. I don't know. But I wanted to speak to it because I don't know what voices you've got that need to shut the hell up. So you can be your most authentic self. I just don't think it's the same to do it in rebellion, you know. So to get rid of them first, I think, is the first step for me. So that I can do them whatever them is. So I can do me. (laughs) Not as resistance to anything. Not as a response to anything. But more, more like how a dandelion explodes in the middle of a sidewalk. Not in spite of anything, really. Just because it wanted to. Anyway, I'm deep in this new path. I'm deep in exploring my witchcraft. And this is where I landed today. I am still in grief about my doggy, But, you know, that's uh, the price I'm paying for loving something. And to me, that was worth it. I want the last years of my life. I want them to be these little explosions (laughs) of color. And mess sometimes, even. I want that. And I want my sons to see that. I want my sons to know that they can have that too. My eldest son, he's so worried that he feels a lack of direction. And I think that often comes from, you know, just hearing what other people want you to be. I hope that watching me scrape off all these expectations. And explore what the little kid and the little Peter Pan inside of me, what it wants to be. I hope that he's watching that so that he, you know, has the bravery or at least the impulse to try it too. What if we all remembered that kind of childhood glee and magic? I don't know. But I'm going to go find out. All right, y'all, that's enough of me wandering through my own personal woods. I have some shout outs to do, but I also have an important sponsor for the week. Well, they're not a sponsor so much as I reached out to them and really wanted to do something for them. So hold up. I'd like to thank Janie, Julie, and Paul. Welcome to the Bat Children family, and thank you so much for supporting the podcast. All right. Let me tell you about a nonprofit that is very important to me. I first saw these wonderful people over on Byron Ballard's page, and I myself have done a little donation work for them because it just really does matter. And here we go. Binks is Home for Black Cats, located in Asheville, North Carolina, is dedicated to finding loving forever homes for black cats and kittens. Part of their ongoing mission is to educate the public by dispelling the misinformation and the many harmful myths associated with black cats. Homes graced by the presence of a black cat or two are thrice blessed and lucky indeed. Never forget, black cats are good luck. 
Binks's is a federally registered North Carolina 501c3 nonprofit cat rescue. You can find them on the web at www.binkshomeforblackcats.com and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, as well as their new YouTube channel, Mama Panther. Y'all, I'm going to put all of those links in the episode notes so you can find them easy, but they are doing some wonderful work. So please do support them by following them and or donating if you can. I know my Tichaba, she has meant everything to me. So let's help them out, shall we? All right, I'm going to get out of here, y'all. I've got a sweet doggy to take care of and lots of other things on my plate. Write into me if you want to at seba at southernfriedwitch.com. Don't forget, you are worth more than those voices in the cellar. Love y'all like chicken. Blessed be. I'll talk to you next week. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.